From the very beginning of the New World colonization scheme, there were the Rosicrucians. If you have not heard of the Rosicrucians, you probably should. But be forewarned, they are a slippery bunch. The more you learn about them, the less you know. The Rosicrucians who I refer to are the group of reformers from Europe from the 15 and 1600s that set the continent abuzz with talk of ancient wisdom, magic, and a new beautiful future. They lived in the shadows but would sometimes come out. They would even allow charlatans to claim to be members of their secret club to allow the masses to purposefully believe untruths about them. There is even debate to this day as to whether or not the Rosicrucian movement was a hoax or not. They are said to be connected to many different organizations ranging from the Knights Templar to the Illuminati to the Freemasons. And depending upon your understanding of how the world works, they are either divinely connected or diabolically directed. And they are said to include some of the biggest names in history. The secret on the Susquehanna demonstrates how Rosicrucian influences can be traced back to the first permanent English settlement in the New World, Jamestown, albeit through the hidden language of code and cipher. But whereas the Rosicrucian presence was completely in the shadows in 1607, they became more public in 1694 when Rosicrucian Grand Master Johann Kelpius arrived in Philadelphia. He and his followers from Germany went into the surrounding wilderness of 17th century Philadelphia and set up camp. They built a temporary 40-foot by 40-foot structure called the Tabernacle to house 40 inhabitants. As you can see, the number 40 held great meaning and significance. Kelpius himself had a special cave where he practiced his meditations. The cave's location is still known to this day. It is located in the Germantown section of Philadelphia. And in 1961, it was memorialized with the cooperation of the Supreme Grand Lodge of Amwork, one of a handful of modern Rosicrucian organizations. Kelpius's death is listed as January 1, 1708, which means he would have died on his 41st birthday. Said another way, he died the day after completing a full year at age 40. In 1720, or 12 years later, Conrad Beisel arrived in Philadelphia from Germany looking to join Kelpius's colony of mystics. Little remained of the group once Kelpius was no longer around, but Beisel found counsel in Kelpius's associate, Conrad Mathai. And Mathai wasn't just an associate, but Kelpius's spiritual confidant, and he advised Beisel 
to go further west to create a permanent Rosicrucian colony. So Beisel went west and arrived in Lancaster County, and in 1732, 12 years after his arrival in the New World, he established the first permanent Rosicrucian community in the New World, the Ephrata Cloister. The Ephrata Cloister is located in the borough of Ephrata in the county of Lancaster. Lancaster County is home of the first Rosicrucian permanent colony in the New World. The cloister holds great significance historically due to its role it played during the colonial period. The cloister is open to the public and if you ever find yourself in Lancaster, a tour is highly recommended. However, you won't hear anything about Ephrata's Rosicrucian roots for probably a variety of reasons. However, the Rosicrucians speak very openly about Beisel as a key member of their fraternity. It is an admittedly complex scenario. If this is a topic you find interesting, I suggest further research. May I suggest a 70-page slide presentation available online? It was written by a modern Rosicrucian whose research is primarily based upon 19th century texts. I will warn you right now, like all things Rosicrucian, after reading the research, you may be a little bit more confused than you were before you started. Information regarding the Ephrata Rosicrucian Lancaster connection is available to anyone wishing to research. There are plenty of resources out there. In future segments, the Rosicrucian Lancaster connection will be looked at more deeply, and what we will discuss is nothing short of mind blowing. But for now, Let's leave Rosicrucianism at this point with the knowledge that within Lancaster County, the Rosicrucian Order built their first permanent colony in the New World. As for the second group, the Toltecs, you will have to look very hard to find anything about their relationship to the Lancaster area. And this is likely to be the only place you will hear how this group connects with the Rosicrucians in Lancaster County of all places, but they do. The Toltecs are a Mesoamerican high culture from about a thousand years ago. They are the predecessors of the Aztecs and the Maya, and like the Rosicrucians, they have an air of mystery to them and the magnificent cities which they built. But before we get into the Toltec connection, let us discuss the Susquehanna petroglyphs. The Susquehanna River forms the western border of Lancaster County. In the water, just downstream from the Safe Harbor Dam, are hundreds of boulders, six of which are known to have petroglyphs or rock carvings. The two boulders with the most amount of carvings are known as Big Indian and Little Indian Rock. The Safe Harbor Petroglyph site is actually part of a collection of 10 petroglyph sites in the Susquehanna, stretching 23 miles from Lancaster to Port Deposit, Maryland. 
there are more than 1,000 different carvings. This collection is arguably the most significant archaeological site of its kind in the Northeast. Very little is known of the rock carvings, including their age, who made them, and what is being communicated. For the most part, this site has been ignored by archaeologists. We collectively owe a debt of gratitude to Paul Nevin, the foremost expert on the Susquehanna petroglyphs. He has spent considerable time and energy researching, cataloging, and teaching about the petroglyphs. Much of the following information is built upon Paul's research, but please note that the opinions and connections expressed within these videos are of Susquehanna alchemies and do not reflect the opinions of Mr. Nevin. In Paul Nevin's presentations on the petroglyphs, he speaks of his experiences with Tolakiel, a Tolteca Chikimeca elder who visited the rock carvings multiple times. Tolakiel isn't just a name, but a title, one which the man carried for over 50 years. The title means advisor to the council, and the council is a collection of indigenous Central American elders. Tolakiel was the elder's elder. He traveled the world teaching. He spoke at institutions ranging from Harvard University to the Omega Institute. In 1997, he participated in a ceremony in France with the Dalai Lama. Tolakiel returned time and again to the Susquehanna petroglyphs because to him, based upon his knowledge as the guardian and heir to the true history of the Toltec people, that the Susquehanna petroglyphs demonstrated a connection. When Tolakiel was taken to the petroglyphs, he and Paul Nevin examined all of the carvings. Tolakiel looked and said one by one he did not know what they meant. But then he saw one which he knew, one which was very meaningful. It was of a human figure with very large hands. And he said it was the symbol of Humak, the legendary leader of the Toltec city Tula at the time of Tula's fall. I want you to remember Tula, for we will come back to it later. The presence of the Humak glyph suggested to Tlaquiel a connection from Lancaster to the cultural migration of Mexico that occurred throughout North America following the fall of Tula. Said another way, the glyph demonstrated that the Toltecs came to Lancaster. The Humak carving was not the only thing that interested Tlaquiel, however. In northern Lancaster County is Cocalico. Cocalico can refer to a community, a municipality, and a tributary to the Conestoga River, which is a tributary to the Susquehanna River. More on that in a moment. The word Cocalico is from the Lene Lenape people, and it means house of snakes. The Lene Lenape language falls within the Algonquin family of languages. 
The word Cocalico caught Tlachiel's attention because there is a similar sounding word in Nahual, the ancient language of the Aztecs and Toltecs, and it is Cocalco. And interestingly, it means house of snakes. The snake is a significant symbol to the Mesoamerican culture as it represents a key deity and also the location of the Aztec creation myth. The presence of the Cocalico-Cocalco phonetic link suggests something even greater than cultural migration. Now is not the time for that discussion, but just know that to the man who was the heir to the true history of the indigenous Mesoamerican people, that the phonetic similarity was very significant. Now let's look how physically Cocalco connects to the petroglyphs. As said before, the petroglyphs are located just south of the safe harbor dam. This also happens to be the location of where the Conestoga River empties into the Susquehanna. Many different people were drawn to the land here. It is the same location where William Penn suggested to build a great city. It is also home to the mysterious Shanks Ferry people. According to Paul Nevin, the petroglyphs seem to be pointing up the Conestoga. In this slide by Paul Nevin, he identifies the six boulders that contain petroglyphs. As you can see, the six boulders are aligned in such a way that they make three intersecting lines. The Nevin diagram lacks a greater context. Here, the schematic of the six boulders is superimposed over a satellite image of the river. The schematic aligns perfectly to boulders identifiable in the image. Now note the ACD line segment. The stone marked with the letter A has a petroglyph of two feet in human scale. If one stands where the feet are, they would face the same direction as the ACD line. Now, let's superimpose the alignment schematic on a map and extend the ACD line. The line matches the path of the Conestoga River. Said another way, any person who stands on top of the petroglyph feet, they will look directly up the mouth of the Conestoga. Now let's expand the line further and apply the schematic to a larger map and see what is up the Conestoga. Approximately 15 miles upstream, the Conestoga meets the Cocalico Creek. If the Cocalico Creek is followed, you will eventually reach its source in a boulder field in Cocalico. There is a direct connection via waterway from Cocalico to the Susquehanna petroglyphs. But not only that, if you look closely at the map, you will see that the Cocalico Creek runs directly through Ephrata. And if you look even closer, you will see the Ephrata cloister was built on the banks of the creek. Perhaps there is a conscious connection. Perhaps there's not. All we can say for fact is that the Rosicrucian colony offered a direct path to the petroglyphs if one were to follow the current.
Now here's another little connection. A book titled The Return of the Serpents of Wisdom was released in 1997 by Mark Amaru Pinkham. It was published by Adventures Unlimited Press, a publishing house known for unusual topics that can neither be proven nor disproven. And this book is no exception. So take what it says with a grain of salt. But with that said, it connects our two groups and the word cocalico. Here is the premise of the book from the publisher. According to ancient records, the patriarchs and founders of the early civilizations in Egypt, India, China, Peru, Mesopotamia, Britain, and the Americas were colonized by the serpents of wisdom, spiritual masters associated with the serpent, who arrived in these lands after abandoning their beloved homelands and crossing great seas. While bearing names denoting snake or dragon, such as Naga, Lung, Jedi, Ameru, Quetzalcoatl, Adder, these serpents of wisdom oversaw the construction of magnificent civilizations within which they and their descendants served as the priest kings and as the enlightened heads of mystery school traditions. The return of the serpents of wisdom recounts the history of these serpents, where they came from, why they came, the secret wisdom they disseminated, and why they are returning now. Depending upon one's worldview, that description could either excite or upset. Regardless of personal feelings, the author shares some interesting insights. Within the book, 13 different groups are highlighted as serpents of wisdom. Specifically mentioned are the Toltecs and the city of Tula. If you recall, it was the symbol of Humak, the leader of Tula, that caught Tulakiel's attention. Additionally, the Rosicrucians are described as the European elite serpents of wisdom. Suddenly, the meaning of the words Cocalco and Cocalico, both as home of serpents, has a deeper significance. Now there's one more connection worth pointing out. In The Serpents of Wisdom, the author suggests that the Freemasons responsible for instigating the American Revolution were connected to, or actually members of, the Serpents of Wisdom. And since the symbol of the serpent in its many forms was the calling card of the serpents, the revolutionary meeting place, the Green Dragon Tavern in Boston, held great significance. Now, Ephrata, Pennsylvania is known for many things, the cloister just being one of them. About one mile from the cloister is the largest Amish-run farmer's market in the United States. And its name? The Green Dragon.
Francis Bacon's influence on the modern world cannot be overstated, yet his name has little household recognition. This man, who was the right hand to King James, ushered in the modern technological world with his scientific method, played a major role in the establishment of the New World and the United States, was the final editor of the King James Bible, was possibly the true author of the works of Shakespeare, was a significant influence on modern Freemasonry, and Bacon was also the Grand Master of the Rosicrucians. In addition to being a regular, albeit highly productive, individual, he is also, to some, much more than a human being. Some have reached the conclusion that Bacon was, or is, an ascended master, one who has transcended the limitations of physical form. Regardless of what or whom he was, his presence is felt very much to this day. As expressed in the presentation, The Secret on the Susquehanna, Bacon's fingerprints are all over the John Smith map of Virginia. Hiding within the map, which was published in 1612, is an encoded secret location, the Susquehanna River at the 40th parallel. This location, when taken as literally as possible, aligns to modern-day Lancaster County. The idea that Bacon and the Rosicrucians were interested in the land now known as Lancaster is further supported by the fact that the first permanent Rosicrucian colony in the New World, the effort of Cloister, is also located in Lancaster County, about 20 miles from the spot identified in the John Smith map. The point is that Bacon, this man of great influence on the modern world, was very interested in Lancaster County. Nowhere does he or any other Rosicrucian openly state why this land is so significant. All that can be done is to study the actions by the Rosicrucians and look at the results. As it has been said, you will know a tree by the fruit which it produces. We now go one layer deeper. This presentation demonstrates how the plan for Lancaster City itself meets the criteria of being an alchemical ritual site. On top of that, the precise location of the ritual site, which we will get to in a moment, happens to be the same spot where the seed of the Rosicrucian dream was planted. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. After Bacon's death in 1626, Bacon's utopian novel, The New Atlantis, was released. Though unfinished, its premise is that of a utopian land where, and I quote, generosity and enlightenment dignity and splendor, 
piety, and public spirit are the commonly held qualities of the inhabitants. Creating the new Atlantis was the Rosicrucian dream, or at least an aspect to it. As Grand Master, Bacon was the guiding force of the Rosicrucians. The New Atlantis is not just a story, but a commanding order and a blueprint for constructing the Rosicrucian dream. The Founding Fathers of the United States followed their directive. Consider what Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence and third United States President had to say. Francis Bacon, Isaac Newton, and John Locke are the three greatest men the world has ever produced. Note that all three of these men were also members of the Rosicrucian fraternity. Bacon played a leading role in the establishment of the New World via his position on the Executive Council of the Virginia Company of London. The Virginia Company was the for-profit organization behind Jamestown and the Plymouth Settlement. John Smith was the leader of the Jamestown Settlement, and this provides the link between Francis Bacon and the John Smith map. So not only did Bacon influence the Founding Fathers via his written word, but he also got the ball rolling of the entire colonization scheme. In 1616, ten years before the New Atlantis was published, the chemical wedding of Christian Rosencruz was released, arguably the most significant Rosicrucian document of the era. The chemical wedding of Christian Rosencruz is Rosicrucian allegory that tells the story of the union of the primordial opposites, whether called yin and yang, goddess and god, moon and sun, water and fire, or king and queen. On the individual level, it can also refer to the merging of body and spirit, or mind and heart. This esoteric concept, the balancing and merging of opposites, goes by many names, including the alchemical wedding, the sacred marriage, or Heros Gamos. The exact meaning of the phrase alchemical wedding can vary based upon context. In the most literal sense, as the sacred marriage, it refers to the ritualistic sexual union of the actual king and queen, or a male and female representing the king and queen. This was seen as a fertility rite but the higher truth is the alchemical wedding is a ritual to bring about balance and manifestation in any form via blending the two opposites male and female a third is created the king and queen would participate in the act to the benefit of their kingdom the goal was not necessarily to impregnate the queen as much as it was to bring about new life and or abundance. The blending of opposites is always first about balance and then ultimately about manifestation, bringing something new into the world. 
which can be either physical or non-material. And the Rosicrucian document, the chemical wedding of Christian Rosicruits, is an instruction manual. Now let's take a moment to recap. In the Rosicrucian influence 1612 map of Virginia, the location now known as Lancaster was cryptically identified. Then, in 1694, the New World's first Rosicrucian Grand Master arrived in Philadelphia and set up a temporary Rosicrucian colony. In 1730, the first permanent Rosicrucian colony in the New World was established in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. The location of the Ephrata Cloister is 20 miles from the exact location the John Smith map identified, the Susquehanna River at the 40th parallel. The presentations, The Secret on the Susquehanna and Mystic Lancaster Part 1 cover these topics in depthly. In 1734, the Lancaster City Plan was laid out by James Hamilton. Lancaster City is approximately midway between the cloister and the location encrypted in the John Smith map. It was well documented that Hamilton was a Freemason, but it is also very likely he was a Rosicrucian as well. We know this because he served in a leadership capacity for two institutions founded by known Rosicrucian, Benjamin Franklin. Specifically, he was the head of Franklin's American Philosophical Society. Lancaster City was laid out in the shape of a square. Now here is where it gets interesting. But first this needs to be defined. Ritual is a human being acting out symbolism in order to invoke a specific quality. But whatever the ritual is attempting to invoke, it can also be expressed through inanimate symbolism. The center of Lancaster City was laid out in such a way that it is a representation of the Rosicrucian chemical wedding, or esoteric concept of the sacred marriage. Let's see how. First, look at the square. At the heart of any shape is the center. The simple rules of geometry tells us that the center of a square is identified by connecting the opposing corners. So let's do that. Look closely and see the exact center of the city is the intersection of King and Queen Streets. In the most literal sense, the union of King and Queen Streets is an inanimate symbol of the sacred marriage the union of two opposites. So if Lancaster City, located in the heart of the land identified by the Rosicrucian Grand Master Francis Bacon, was laid out to bring about manifestation, then what was it to manifest? The Rosicrucian Utopia of the New Atlantis. 
It's been said that talk is cheap, so let's see if these words hold water. In the summer of 1744, 12 years after Beissel established the effort of cloister, but decades before the birth of the United States of America, a conference took place at the old courthouse in Lancaster, which ran from June 22nd to July 4th. The primary participants were the governors of the Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia colonies, and the head of the Iroquois nation. The purpose of the conference was a renegotiation of an earlier treaty, but that is not what we are interested in here. We are interested in an idea that was publicly spoken for the first time. To quote the Rosicrucian-influenced King James Bible, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Said another way, everything begins with words, and words have the power to manifest. The conference, which is known as the 1744 Treaty of Lancaster, is best remembered for the advice given by Kanasatego, spokesman for the Iroquois Nation. This is what he had to say. We have one thing further to say, and that is we heartily recommend union and a good agreement between you, our brethren. Never disagree, but preserve a strict friendship for another, and thereby you, as well as we, become the stronger. For our wise forefathers established union and amity between the five nations. This has made us formidable. This has given us great weight and authority with our neighboring nations. We are a powerful confederacy, and by your observing the same methods our wise forefathers have taken, you will acquire fresh strength and power. Therefore, whatever befalls you, never fall out with one another. These words describe the model that would eventually be followed by the Founding Fathers in creating the United States of America, a confederacy of independent states unified via a central structure. The Rosicrucian dream of the New Atlantis took a giant step forward. And there is more. Kanasatego didn't speak English. He had an interpreter. His interpreter's name was Conrad Weiser. And who was Weiser? A prominent Rosicrucian with direct links to the effort of cloister. It was from the mouth of a Rosicrucian who spoke the words and planted the seeds in the minds of prominent men that moved the Rosicrucian dream one giant step further to becoming manifest. And where did he say these words? Where in Lancaster City is the old courthouse located? At the intersection of King and Queen Streets.
at the site of the alchemical wedding, a location endowed with the purpose of manifestation. It was here that the seed of the great American experiment was planted. And it goes deeper still. When Wiser translated Kanasatego's words, only those in the sanctum of the courthouse were privy to hear. But there was another Rosicrucian in attendance, and he owned a print shop in Philadelphia and took the treaty and the conference minutes, including the advice from the Iroquois nation, and put it in pamphlet form, then propagated the idea into the minds of men and women throughout the colonies. And this other Rosicrucian, Benjamin Franklin. Obviously, the seed planted eventually took root, but it actually took root right at the alchemical wedding site. On September 27, 1777, for one day and one day only, Lancaster City housed Congress and was the acting capital of the United States of America. Congress is the branch of government that best represents the idea that was presented at the treaty by the Iroquois nation. And then, in the same building, in the same room, those words were said. They became manifest. Let us return to Francis Bacon for a moment. Bacon was many things, including an expert codemaker and steganographer. The name Bacon, in simple cipher, is 33. Bacon used 33 and TT, the initials of 33, as his calling cards. So the seed planted at the Treaty of Lancaster eventually took root in the same physical location with only time separating the events. And what was the time difference between the two events? Exactly 33 years, three months, and three days. Bacon's presence, whether conscious or not, is tied to this location. And this link goes even deeper. In 1594, over the 12 days of Christmas, Bacon and his cohorts put on a play, though veiled Rosicrucian ritual may be a more accurate description, at Gray's Inn, the prestigious club for London barristers. The title of the play was The Prince of Purple and the Honorable Order of the Knights of the Helmet. In it, Francis Bacon presented his philosophical ideals and an order of knighthood dedicated to carrying them out. The individual, this philosophical order of knights, had sworn to protect was the divine spear-shaker, Pallas Athena. So who is Pallas Athena? The Greek goddess which Athens is named for. She is also known as the Liberty Goddess, for she represents the feminine warrior who fights for freedom from tyranny of enslavement. 
in all its forms. The point here is to highlight Bacon's connection to the general concept of goddess worship and specifically to his role as the guardian of the Liberty Goddess and what she represents. Please keep in mind that the Liberty Goddess is an inanimate symbol representing the quality of becoming free. This topic and how it connects to the Rosicrucians, the John Smith map, and the Susquehanna River is covered in the presentation The Goddess Susquehanna, the Ancient River as the Rosicrucian High Altar. But for now, let's return to Lancaster City. On July 4, 1874, a Civil War monument was dedicated at the intersection of King and Queen Street. Mind you, this occurred exactly 130 years to the day of the conclusion of the Treaty of Lancaster, which occurred at the exact location. The monument is 13 meters high and consists of a statue on top of a pillar. The statue is of a robed woman with sword and shield. And the name of the statue? The Genius of Liberty. The figure on top of the monument is a Liberty Goddess, just as Pallas Athena. Let that sink in for a moment. The Order of the Knights of the Helmet marked their territory with the Liberty Goddess at the site of the alchemical wedding where the seed of the Rosicrucian dream was first planted in the most fertile soil in all the land. Even though these Rosicrucians were men of science, they were first and foremost men of spirit, focused upon the invisible world. Their fervor to experiment and discover was for purposes of unlocking the higher laws of the material world in order for their plan to succeed. Let us play with an idea. Let us say that the reason they kept returning to the same area was because it contained 
some sort of natural force or energy that somehow held influence in a very subtle yet real way over life on Earth. Could this explain how such a small group of individuals working in the shadows was able to bring the world in line to their plan? And make no mistake, our current world is undoubtedly Rosicrucian. If they were in fact looking for a force to assist in influencing the planet, what sort of qualities must that force hold? For starters, it would have to be ancient. Perhaps the oldest force of them all. Why? Because the natural order that governs life on this planet is that the old influences the new. In traditional society, it is the oldest members whose wisdom carries the most weight. Within the human brain, it is the oldest part which influences the more recently developed. Within the human experience, it is the first years that affect the rest of one's life. The Susquehanna River is the oldest river in the Americas, and possibly the oldest river upon the earth. A river is not just water, but water plus current, and current is energy. Was the Susquehanna's ancient energy the keystone to implementing the Rosicrucian plan? Utilizing a river for magical ritual to influence the planet may sound far-fetched, but history shows a pattern. Multiple planetary movements were initiated on the Susquehanna by individuals or groups tied to Rosicrucianism or similar organizations. This includes the first electronic computer, the birth of Mormonism, and the introduction of the three-wire electrical model. From the Susquehanna, each of these movements spread across the globe. Let us go one layer deeper. Suppose the location for Lancaster City was selected due to a relationship that land held with the Susquehanna, similar to the Earth equivalent of a pressure point, and the Rosicrucian ritual held at the center of Lancaster City cloaked the location with Rosicrucian influence. No different than how a color filter cloaks the white beam of a spotlight. Don't give this idea too much weight. Treat it 
as a hypothesis or a lens to view the remainder of this presentation. The center of Lancaster City is a concentration of energy, and energy wants to move. It has its own engine. Energy is drawn to more powerful sources. This is why electricity wants to ground. The energy of Lancaster City, colored by Rosicrucianism via ritual, is naturally drawn to the Susquehanna River, the oldest energy of them all. What happens first in the invisible world eventually shows itself in the material world. This is a truth of life. The most tangible way the connection from the Lancaster City ritual spot to the Susquehanna River is expressed is by roads. As a roadway is nothing more than a conduit for moving people, individual units of energy. There are three roads, and three roads alone, that go from the center of the city to the river. Each one, when viewed from a synchromystic lens, reflects different aspects of Rosicrucian symbology. It is not being suggested that the Rosicrucian symbology was done purposefully or consciously, though that is possible. Rather, that the organic occurrences of life, such as building roads from one place to another, are naturally influenced by higher ordering principles which can be influenced by ritual. So now let us look at these roads and listen to what they have to say. The energy spot is located at the intersection of King and Queen Street in the center of downtown Lancaster City. A half mile away, two roads, one above and one below King Street, branch off at acute angles. The three roads connect to the Susquehanna, or as close as a road is able to, and they make a triangular shape. The symbology associated with each road is read by examining everyday features through a synchromystic lens. By doing so, it becomes clear that the above road reflects the energy of the rose. It is the rose line. The middle road reflects the energy of the cross, and it is the timeline. And the below road is the most mysterious of the three, and it is the line of prophecy. To grasp the symbolism, let us first look at what the rose and cross 
represent. Within Rosicrucianism and Freemasonry, two organizations that use symbolism in its teachings, the same symbol can have different meanings. This gives the symbol necessary depth to grow with the student as their consciousness changes. One symbolic meaning does not negate another. Of the many different symbolic meanings of the rose and cross, we will focus upon the meaning of the rose as Venus and the cross as Saturn. Both represent a planet and a mythological archetype. Venus as the goddess archetype represents love, beauty, and harmony. And the rose has always been the symbol of the goddess Venus. Venus as the planet has a beautiful and harmonious relationship with Earth. They are in an 8 to 13 orbital resonance, meaning that in the time it takes the Earth to orbit the Sun eight times, Venus has 13 orbits. During an 18-year period, Earth and Venus align with the Sun five times. The elegant dance of these planetary movements is known as the rose. Now Saturn has many symbolic representations, including a six-pointed star, a hexagon, a cube, and the cross. They are all logically connected, but it does take a few steps. The ancient symbol for Saturn, or its sigil, is of a six-pointed star. Connect the points and you get a hexagon. A hexagon is also a two-dimensional representation of the cube. Now, imagine a cube formed from a single piece of folded paper. It would consist of six squares in the shape of a cross. Interestingly, a long-time storm in the shape of a hexagon is located at the planet Saturn's pole. The qualities associated with Saturn include the father figure, authority, restrictions, and challenges. And Saturn is also expressed through the concept of time. Father Time and the Grim Reaper, who you meet when your time is up, are both examples of the Saturnian archetype. Now let's see how these archetypical symbols are embedded in the very existence of these roads.
We begin with the middle road, the father, the road where the energy spot is located, King Street. Historically speaking, this is about as significant as a road can get. In 1733, the foundation of King Street was established, connecting the center of Lancaster City to Philadelphia. It was known as King's Highway. In 1794, King's Highway was paved, creating America's first turnpike, making it the father of the U.S. highway system. However, this roadway best symbolizes Saturnian energy through its resonance with the concept of time. Sitting just outside of the city limits, on the roadway, is the one-time headquarters of the Hamilton Watch Company. Symbolically speaking, Hamilton Watch Company is a deafening shout. Though the Hamilton brand is lesser known today, at its peak, it was the most dominant watch brand in the United States. It was associated with precision, style, and cutting-edge technology. In fact, the company was the first on the planet to market the digital wristwatch, introducing the concept of wearable digital technology, arguably the birth of transhumanism. But not only does Hamilton watch represent the Saturn cross symbolism, but it also connects directly to Rosicrucianism. The company was named for James Hamilton, the Rosicrucian who laid out the city of Lancaster. And this is not the only powerful symbol of time associated with this road. The National Watch and Clock Museum, the United States' largest collection of timepieces, is also located upon it. Remember, it is not suggested that any of this occurred consciously as much as it is a reflection of how the underlying Rosicrucian energy created via ritual expresses itself in natural growth. Let us move to the next road. A half mile from the energy spot, Marietta Avenue branches off of King Street. This is the above road and reflects the energy of the Rose or Venus. On Marietta Avenue is home of Lancaster's most famous son, James Buchanan, the 15th President of the United States. His stately mansion is called Wheatland. Wheatland is a synchromistic reference to Isis, the Egyptian goddess, as she was known as the Queen 
of the wheat field. Isis is significant to the Rosicrucians, and she was also known as the Rose of the World. Remember, there is only one goddess, and she goes by 10,000 names. But it is the home across the street from Wheatland that the Venus-Rose connection becomes clear. In order to understand why, let us return to the center of Lancaster City. The most dominant visual at the intersection of King and Queen Streets for the 20th century is the Watt and Shand department store. The very name Watt is a synchromistic indication of the location's power. Peter Watt, the founder of Watt and Shand, built his impressive home across from Wheatland and named it Roslyn due to his admiration of the architecture of Roslyn, Scotland. The best known piece of Roslyn architecture is the mysterious Roslyn Chapel. This 14th century structure has captured the attention of conspiracy investigators due to its supposed connection to the Knights Templar and Freemasonry. Two organizations that have overlap with the Rosicrucians. One of the meanings given to the word Roslyn is Roseline. At the other end of Marietta Avenue is another impressive mansion. It was the home of Ethelbert Watts. The home was a gift from his father, Henry Watts, the then U.S. ambassador to Austria. And interestingly, the Rosicrucian headquarters is also said to reside in Austria. Regardless, on both ends of Marietta Avenue or the Rose Line are two prominent homes both owned by men with Watt in their last name. Symbolically, this reflects the wattage running through this line. Marietta Avenue's other name is Route 23. 23 is a charged number, to say the least. William Burroughs called it the 23 Enigma due to its mysterious nature. 23 also corresponds to key aspects in the material world, such as the number of chromosomes each parent contributes to a child, and the number of degrees of the Earth's axial tilt. 
The number has even been used as a password for an ultra-secret society. Marietta Avenue, or the Rose Line, is an energetically rich conduit that resonates with the archetypical qualities of the goddess, whether called Isis, Venus, or the Rose, but also reflects a deeper mystery. On to the lower road. The third road is Manor Drive, more commonly known as Route 999, and it is the most cryptic of them all. Numbers have great significance within the mysteries, which Rosicrucianism certainly participates in. Nine, in its most clear meaning, represents the end of a cycle and three nines can represent the end of three cycles, one cycle of triple magnitude, or in this case, both. From Lancaster City, Route 999 meets the Susquehanna about one half mile shy of 40 degrees, zero minutes, zero seconds. This location is opposite from High Point Scenic Vista, the York County Park that connects to the Jamestown Colony via the John Smith map, as covered in The Secret on the Susquehanna, Parts 1 and 2. Jamestown marked the birthplace of the British Empire. High Point opened exactly on the 400th anniversary of its founding. From the Kabbalistic Rosicrucian perspective, 400 is the number of completion. Or said another way, High Point's opening on the 400th anniversary marks the conclusion of the British Empire through Kabbalistic symbolism. This is the first nine or end of the first cycle, as foretold in the road's name, Route 999. The British Empire cycle is esoteric in nature due to its Kabbalistic link, and therefore only the elect were in the know. The two other cycles, however, held considerable planet-wide attention. The second cycle, or second nine, was for the year 2000, and it represents both the end of the millennia and, in a more general way, the conclusion of the 2000-year Age of Pisces. It concluded with the Y2K computer collapse scare, which added a heavy dose of collective emotion to the event. The third prophesized cycle, or nine, was the 2012 completion of the Mayan calendar. This also came with misplaced worldwide emotion. These three major cycles 
all completing within 12 years of one another, represent the three nines. But the three nines taken together represent the conclusion of a grander cycle. Let us now look at the synchromistic arrangement between the road numbers, the Mayan calendar, the Book of Revelations, and the John Smith map. The Mayan calendar tracks a 5,125-year cycle. It is measured by counting down 13 smaller cycles, known as Bakhtuns. The calendar's conclusion was the end of the 13th and final Bakhtun. A Bakhtun is exactly 144,000 days, or approximately 394 years. The 13th Bakhtun began in 1618, shadowing the 400-year Rosicrucian British Empire cycle that began in Jamestown and concluded in 2007. The Susquehanna mystery begins with the reversed 40 on the John Smith map, establishing a modus operandi with reverse numbers. Route 999 terminates into Route 441 at the 40th parallel, the exact location hidden in the John Smith map. 441 reversed is 144, as in 144,000 days. And to go one step further, 441 plus 999, the numbers of the two roads, equals 1,440. Remember, the King James Bible was assembled by the same Rosicrucian behind Jamestown and the John Smith map. In the book of Revelations, found within the Bible, the number 144,000 refers to the number of people who are saved after the apocalypse. This is the same number as the final countdown of the Mayan calendar, which began at the same time as the beginning of the British Empire. Apocalypse simply means end of an age, and an age is just another name for a cycle. Route 999 is the line of prophecy it speaks of the apocalypse. The Susquehanna River at the 40th parallel is the location of the end of the age and the beginning of the next cycle. Or at least that is what is being communicated. Take this in slowly. Sit with it. 
for its implications are rather grand. One last thing. The shape of these three roads was described in the beginning of this presentation as a triangle. However, if King Street is extended to the west, as it was originally constructed, the shape becomes that of a trident. A trident is the three-pronged fork held by the god Neptune. The trident was his tool of power. The trident is also the symbol of the society of unnamed philosophers. The actual name, the men behind the Rosicrucians, called themselves. Mystic Lancaster Part 4 James Buchanan and the Hidden Master This is the fourth episode in the Mystic Lancaster series. And in the first three parts, we saw the influence of Rosicrucianism in general within Lancaster and we also saw a connection to Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon was, was covered in greater detail in part one on the secret of the Susquehanna. And what we can conclude is that somehow there's a connection between Francis Bacon, the, the head of the Rosicrucian order in the late 15 hundreds and early 1600s in Lancaster. So now we're going to go one step deeper and this this is an interesting topic because it points to some pretty far out there ideas but we're just going to follow the data so let's see where this takes us. So Francis Bacon here we here we see him. He was the uh, this count Saint Alban was his uh, title, and we can see this picture of him. And there are a lot of things about Saint Francis Bacon that we've covered in the past, and a lot of things have been credited to him. Uh, everything from being the true author behind the works of Shakespeare to the final editor of the King James Bible. He was the chief executive officer, though they didn't use that title, of the Virginia Company of London, which was behind Jamestown. He was a major force in the colonization of the New World. He was the father of the scientific method, and the list goes on and on. And whether it's because of that or for other reasons, the idea that Francis Bacon became or was or is an ascended master is a belief which is held by people and it has been said that he faked his death and never actually died and many other people including um, Saint Germain were actually 
Francis Bacon, or the being that we call Francis Bacon, went by many different names. So we're going to switch gears for a moment. We're going to go to James Buchanan. So James Buchanan was the only president from Pennsylvania, and he lived in Lancaster, Lancaster City. And whereas James Buchanan may not be a household name to many, from a historian's perspective and from a political scientist's perspective, James Buchanan is a very well-known president. Whereas we see the question of who is the greatest or who was the greatest president, you may get 10 or 15 different answers and, and strong arguments for why different individuals may have been the best president for the United States. It is almost unanimous that James Buchanan was the worst president ever. And the reason he is credited as being such a bad president for it was underneath his administration and his policy and his leadership which the stage was set for the Civil War. In fact, a couple of weeks, maybe even days after his term came to completion, the Civil War actually broke out. Interestingly enough, for those that have seen the baseball video, Abner Doubleday, who is the former president of the U.S. Theosophical Society and the mythological inventor of baseball, is often credited as the individual who fired the first shot in the Civil War. We don't want to digress. So James Buchanan as the worst president, um, what can be said about that is that his influence, regardless of whether that was a positive influence or a negative influence, was incredibly profound upon the United States, in fact, it changed the course of the United States, which then changed the course of the planet. So looking at it from this perspective, James Buchanan was arguably the most influential president, or one of them at least. And James Buchanan, we're going to look at four things. We're going to look at four different aspects which point to some very, very strange correlations with Rosicrucianism and specifically Francis Bacon. So let's just jump right in. The first thing we want to talk about is James Buchanan's house, which is located in Lancaster, um, just right outside of the city. And his home was called Wheatland. This was covered a little bit in Mystic Lancaster Part 3, for his house is across the street from the Roslyn Mansion. His home predates the Roslyn Mansion. And the reason why 
Wheatland is interesting as a name is because Wheatland can be thought of as a code or encoded reference to Isis in Sir James Fraser's The Golden Bough. In this book, we can see here, it's by Time Magazine, so take that you know, any way you want, but Time Magazine is quoted as saying it's one of the 20th century's most influential books. And this book describes our ancestors' primitive methods of worship, sex practices, strange rituals, and festivals. And in this book, we can see right here on the chapter on Isis, it says that she is known as Queen of the Wheatfield. And the reason why this connection with Isis is significant is because Isis was known as the Rose of the World. She was that rather significant within Rosicrucian teachings and symbology. Keep in mind that the home of Buchanan, Wheatfield, is located directly across the street from Roslyn Mansion, which also has Rose and Isis type of references. So that's the first point, the name of James Buchanan's home, Wheatland. And I guess it's also worth pointing out um, the proximity of Wheatland to Wrightsville and the Wrightsville Bridge, because we talked a little bit about James Buchanan's role with the Civil War and how the Civil War changed the course of America and America eventually became the most influential planet or influential country upon the planet. So here we see Wheatland, right here is Lancaster City, right here is Wrightsville, right here is the 40th parallel, right there is High Point. You can see this was or is King Street, which connects them. And Wrightsville is significant because there was a 15-minute skirmish at the Wrightsville Bridge, which had a lasting impact on the Battle of Gettysburg and by extension of the entire Civil War. You can see right here this proximity. And so basically what happened was the South, who was winning the war at the time, they came up here from Maryland into Pennsylvania, and they were planning on crossing over the Wrightsville Bridge to go into Philadelphia, and or at least go east. And this bridge, which was located right here, which at the time was the longest covered bridge on the planet, the citizens of Wrightsville burned it. And because they burned it, the Southern Army returned to Gettysburg. They gathered there, and then the Battle of Gettysburg occurred. And it was at the Battle of Gettysburg which the tide of the war changed to the North's favor, and the North eventually went and won. Also interesting, the hero for the North of Gettysburg was also Abner Doubleday. So now let's go on to our second point.
The second point is James Buchanan's birthplace, and it is located in Pennsylvania, southwest of Lancaster. And there is a memorial for James Buchanan, and it was created and paid for by Harriet Lane, who was the niece of James Buchanan, as James Buchanan was also the only bachelor president and had his niece as his first lady. And so we're interested in the monument because it is a stone pyramid. And it's an interesting juxtaposition, if you will, if you want to go by the standard use for the pyramids of Egypt, and I'm not suggesting that's the only purpose or even the accurate purpose, but it's often said that the birth, that the pyramids are the death tombs of the pharaohs, so this idea of having a death tomb located on a birthplace is is rather interesting, particularly if one thinks about the correlation between life cycles and end-of-age cycles that we're seeing within the series. The pyramid is interesting as it relates to Rosicrucianism, and even more so Rosicrucianism within Pennsylvania, as there is a Rosicrucian organization headquartered in Bucks County, located 90 minutes east of Lancaster, and they're known for their pyramids. We could say they have some similarities to one another. Um, the angles of the sides are slightly different, but nonetheless, we have an Egyptian slash Rosicrucian symbol of the birthplace of Buchanan. We also see a similar correlation with James Buchanan and Egyptian and Rosicrucian symbology with his home Wheatland as Isis, the Egyptian goddess, was queen of the wheat field. So now let's go another step deeper. So Buchanan's niece Harriet Lane, she also donated other money, and she started, she gave money to start a private school in Washington, D.C., and the name of that school is St. Albans, and if you recall from the very beginning of this presentation, Francis Bacon was the Viscount St. Albans. So now we're ready to go on to the fourth piece. And so within Rosicrucianism and within many of the practices of Western esotericism, they're built upon the teachings of the mystical Kabbalah. And the Kabbalah was supposedly delivered by Moses 
the second time he came down from the from the mountain after delivering the Ten Commandments in the Talmud was written in Hebrew. And Hebrew was or is a language which does not have vowels, or at least the original Hebrew did not include vowels vowels in its alphabet. It was only there were only consonants and there were symbols or accents added to the consonants to add the vowel. So if we want to go and look at these names and reduce them down to their consonants, which was the practice in ancient times, and particularly with Hebrew, let's see what we get. So we're going to start with bacon, and we remove the A and the O, and we are left with BCN. This is code for bacon, if you will. And so now let's go do the same thing to Buchanan. We remove the U and the A and the A, and we're left with the B-C-H-N-N. -N. Work with me here a little bit. We're playing with ideas. But the C-H in Buchanan is not your typical C-H, at least phonetically, because a C-H makes a sound like cheese. But his name is pronounced Buchanan, more like canon, and that's a C sound. So we can switch this out to a C. And if we're just gonna do consonants, we have a redundancy right here. We have a double N right there, so let's just drop one of the Ns. And when we do so, we can see that Buchanan can be reduced to BCN as well. Just like bacon. So now we return back to this idea of Francis Bacon as an ascended master. And I'm not suggesting that James Buchanan was actually the embodiment of Francis Bacon. But I will certainly suggest that somehow the spirit of Francis Bacon, take that however you wish, is very much embedded in the land of Lancaster, Lancaster City, and Lancaster's most notorious son, James Buchanan. 